Hey guys and shine there, my good friends, and welcome to the I Give a Damn podcast. Today, I interview one of my good friends and mentors, Dr. Nick Colatrella. If you're unfamiliar with Dr. Colatrella, he is not only an optometrist and accomplished private practice owner, he's also a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry, as well as a diplomate of the Academy in the anterior segment section. He's also a diplomate of the American Board Certification of Medical Optometry, as well as the American Board of Optometry. With all of these accolades, he is heavily involved with the AOA, as well as his local state association in Minnesota. And today we brush upon many different topics in optometry, first starting off with a little bit more of a backstory of how Nick and I first met, and then going into the challenges of practicing to the highest extent of his license, being at the front lines of scope expansion, the challenges and frustrations with dealing with medical and vision care plans, and then finally even touching on some of his concerns regarding private equity and how that could potentially affect our profession. Again, Nick is not only a colleague and mentor of mine, so this was a huge honor for me to kind of have a more in-depth conversation about many different topics that I feel are strongly affecting uh, the profession of optometry today. So again, I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. So if you'd please, hit that like, subscribe, and follow buttons. And here we go with Dr. Nick Colatrella. Thank you so much, Nick. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, it is my pleasure, Joe. Thanks for having <laughs> us. This is an honor and a treat to be able to sit here and talk with you. Yeah. Well, this is, I, I feel the same way because uh, if people who are just joining in have never uh, met Nick Colatrella, he, um, I should say Dr. Nick Colatrella, right? We've, we've all been awarded this amazing feat. The, you have been not just a, a mentor to me for since I finished residency, uh, but then I've even had the privilege of working alongside you in your clinic uh, for a few years. I left for a different practice, and then uh, now I'm back there. Thank you. Um, and uh, it's it's just been an incredible journey. So, uh, but again, I, I'm very just honored and humbled to have you here and being on the show. No, no, it's great, uh, great to be here. It's great to sit down and talk with you. You have become a national celebrity. Uh, we get raving emails <laughs> from uh, people around the world, literally all day long, and I get to work side by side with you, which is uh, an honor for me too. But well, it's great. Yeah. It is. I've been very. Uh, I still try to be very um, appreciative for every single view or subscriber on the YouTube channel of, of all the different things that I've been doing. And it really, uh, I just, I, I'm just blessed that we're able to help so many people. Oh, and the, most of the emails are raving fans of yours <clears throat> saying how much they appreciate the videos and how much you've helped them and pointed their treatment and care in the right direction. So, yeah. Well, thank you about that. But uh, I know for this podcast, please, for our listeners and viewers, uh, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit more about kind of your journey into optometry, into practice ownership, your and kind of <clears throat> how you got to where you are now. Um, you know, you, you give CE lectures, you, you have uh, several accolades, you've, you know, you've done a lot of great things. Yeah, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a fun career. And uh, my name is Nick Colatrella. I practice currently at Pinecone Business Center, along with Joey Allen, and uh, six other associate wonderful doctors that we work with. We're in central Minnesota, we have offices in St. Cloud and Sartell. Uh, original one was in Sartell. 
And um, you kind of briefly mentioned that, you know, we kind of got together after residency, but that is not the case. <laughs> we originally met, do you remember this? Um, it must have been 2013. I was president-elect or vice president of the Minnesota Optometric Association, and they did a uh, president's council in San Antonio, Texas. And um, we got to tour the school. And we went through, and I was with the then president, and we were kind of walking around the school, and they had a, a little bar area set up, and um, I somehow gravitated toward that area, and I was sitting there, <laughs> and there was this uh, person sitting there with a name tag, Joe, a student, and we just started talking, and they were talking, and then it was like, hey, where are you from? And you're like, Minnesota? Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Minnesota. And, um, uh, you know, we just hit it off of that. What was that, 2013? It had to <laughs> been somewhere around there. The... Now, now, I have a little bit extra backstory to that that you don't probably even know. So at that time, I was, you know, I was in school and I was fascinated just because I want, first of all, when I went to school, I just thought, up top of school, and then I graduate, get into practice. I didn't even know residency existed. (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing until I got into school and I'm like, oh, all my professors have done this residency thing. Right. What is this? I guess, oh. You know, it'll make me a better doctor. Okay, I guess I got an extra year to sign up for. Because uh, that was just my my drive, my mission when I went into optometry right. school. I'm like, I need to be the best doctor I can be. Residency is the thing. The, But I was curious about like, oh, who around where I grew up was doing low vision? Who was doing, you know, specialty lenses? What what are clinics were around that, around where I grew up? Who was, who were like the leading clinics? And I... About a week before we met, I had looked up and found your clinic. I looked and knew I saw your face, your name. And I saw Stacy's and, and everybody who was working there at the time. And, I, and then a week later, I volunteered to be one of the student ambassadors to this, this, this meeting with all these other doctors from other states. And sure enough, I see your face walk through and I'm like, I saw your name tag had Minnesota on it or something like that. I'm like, oh my god, like this is this is a sign, you know. So it was it was. I remember that night. That was really cool. Yeah, I I remember it very well. I remember talking to you about residencies, you Mm -hmm. know, during that time. And it was, you know, I did a residency at the VA system, which I believe you did as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, nobody has ever regretted doing a residency. And I'm glad you kind of took that path and and moved in the right direction. And I was like, okay, what do we have to do to get him back to Central Minnesota so he can join? in our practice and we were fortunate enough to follow you through and I think we even had little touch points throughout the rest of your schooling and your residency yeah different meetings when we were going around lecturing and whatnot exactly so, yeah when I saw you yeah. guys um you know we had uh, Jeff Varanelli yeah uh, I have to keep on reminding myself how to say his last name correctly uh when we have him on the podcast I was talking with him about the first CE I ever saw him give, which I believe you guys gave together on amniotic yeah. membranes, and that yeah. was at the Texas Optometric Association. It was. And yeah. I saw that as a student, and so it really like blew me away you know, as, as a student at that time because, I, I don't know, maybe, I was maybe a, I don't know, a second year or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff, great friend, uh, personal colleague, friend. We were at each other's weddings. You know, he was my roommate in uh, optometry school, and we have stayed best friends ever since, and we lecture together and do different things. He's so knowledgeable, and to be able to share the podium with him at times and kind of do things is great. And amniotic membranes, 
all treatments with ocular surface disease, we love to kind of go and help people. But yeah, I think that was close to eight, nine years ago as well. <laughs> I kind of doing that, so dating myself. It's yeah. pretty. It's pretty cool yeah. just to look back and yeah. see how far um, we both have come and just how life has changed. You're, you're yeah. starting a second. You guys have just finished building your second location. Yeah, in fact, they um, outfitted the uh, second office with the equipment today while we're sitting here. I was getting pictures from our office manager, Jen. She does a fantastic job in taking care of everything. And, um, you know, makes me feel more comfortable being out of the office to mm. kind of do things. And uh, they loaded all the equipment into the place and there's, you know, FaceTiming me, showing uh, where this stuff should go and making it work. And um, we are set to go next week there. We're going to see our first patient. So, Well, congratulations. That's, uh, I mean, it's a huge feature just to go into private practice on your own, right? And that's kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean, we... You know, um, so I finished residency in 90, you know, started in 96, finished in 97, and then worked for a uh, ophthalmology practice in um, Northeast Ohio for mm -hmm. eight years. And um, that was a wonderful experience. I worked uh, alongside a corneal specialist. Even we did a, a mini corneal fellowship for six months. I would, for the first three months, I went behind the corneal specialist and just kind of saw every one of his patients. And then for the second three months, I went in front of him and filled out the impression and plans and did everything. So then he critiqued me on each patient that we yeah. kind of did. So that kind of helped me with my training and making sure we kind of knew what we were doing, um, you know, from the anterior segment part of the eye. And um, once uh, my wife is also an optometrist, Stacy, we had our first child. We were like, okay, she's, um, we're going back to Minnesota to raise our family. <laughs> I was welcome to come with them or I could stay in Ohio. Tough choice. <laughs> Tough choice. So uh, at that point, we realized I probably can't work for anybody else at <laughs> this stage of my life. So we decided to open our um, first office, opened it cold. And I kind of joke and say ice cold because I was practicing in Ohio and uh, the fr left on the Friday. On the Monday, we opened up in Minnesota. We built that site unseen, got everything together. And um, we were really fortunate. We were able to grow that practice pretty fast. We were in about a 3,000 square foot facility at that time. And then um, uh, about eight years after that, that was in 2004, and then um, uh, even later, uh, 2015, we opened uh, the larger office in Sartell, which is about 10,000 square feet. And then we brought Joe in and then out and then in again, <laughs> kind of doing everything. And um, now we just opened a second location uh, about nine miles away, uh, both of them, you know, buildings of our own and uh, getting right out there, advertising in front of patients. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. So. And I always appreciated just, uh, yeah, you guys have a large clinic, but you guys have always done a very good job of, I think, just representing some of the best of our profession in terms mm -hmm. of uh, our, our ability, our, 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 really our medical knowledge of optometry. Like uh, there, there are, you know, a lot of our consumers out there, as well as some of our industry, they, they definitely kind of post us up as the glasses, the contact lens. Um, kind of the entryway into eye care. But uh, I think when people come to our clinic, they oftentimes do get this kind of different impression of like what we do and what our knowledge is and what we care about and how we're going to take care of them. It's, you know, they may be there just to get their glasses prescription, but yeah. they, they end up finding out a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. And it's creating that medical, you know, these called the medical model of practice. I kind of joke and I say, that's just practice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how I've always practiced. But uh, I am uh, first and foremost, a medical eye care practitioner. Mm -hmm. And I've always, you know, 
I don't, don't tell Jen, you know, always kind of think of glasses as a secondary means that yeah. we kind of, uh, you know, supply to our patients. It's, too. it's part yeah. of our, it's part of the business. And I, I think there it are is. some, there are some clinics I've heard about that are kind of almost in a way passing yeah. off or I won't say giving up, but they're choosing not to even sell glasses at all. Like yeah. it's not part of the refractive component is just, it's there because we need to, but I've, they're just choosing to just focus on the medical portion of it. Yeah. And when I was in Ohio at Northeast Ohio Eye Surgeons, uh, we didn't even have an optical. We were mm. a tertiary referral center. So, you know, doing glasses was, it wasn't even a thought process for me. And that's where my formative years and kind of doing everything. And it was mainly geared toward treating the medical aspect of the patient, making sure that their ocular health is good, no glaucoma, cataracts were taken care of, macular degeneration, all that stuff. And, you know, really, you know, becoming a, a key person in the medical care team for that patient. And we've taken that to the private practice when we did it as well. The benefit that I have found that I didn't even realize would be a huge uh, benefit that I like is now after 18 years of being in, you know, solo private practice, all these patients are now my friends. So we kind of joked earlier when I walk in the room, it's like seeing an old friend. Yeah. You know? <laughs> kind of do that. And that was, that's <clears> something <throat> that I, I aspire to uh, as I've been, I think I've been practicing what, seven, eight, going on eight years now. Yeah. The the um seeing routine patient or seeing comeback patients seeing yeah. patients again and again because you know the first few times you meet them you're like oh i kind of remember you kind of remember what you do but after a few years yeah. you really you remember not only what job they do but their kids and you you saw their kids and now you see their kids not just being small you know five-year-old or something yeah. you're like wow your kid's 10 or 13 now uh, you really do build this sense of community of, of a deep i think a deeper purpose of why you care why you do what you do um, absolutely and you know there's um, you know you've seen them go through all stages of life you know that some of them have done really well some not so great and you're there to kind of help them pick up the pieces and move in the right direction and i'm old enough now to have those patients that were you know part of the infancy program that are now going off to college <laughs> you know <laughs> so you really get to watch a lot of different transitions in their life and, and doing everything and the other benefit of uh, you know the private practice is not only do you see the core the parental figures but then you see their children and then you see their parents and mm. their grandparents so you really get to put the whole niche together of the family unit now i want to take a quick moment to talk about an important issue that we face in the eye clinic and that's with the management of blepharitis and eyelid issues now a lot of our patients will have bad squamous blepharitis or even demodex and we'll often send them to the pharmacy to buy cleansing wipes or cleaners, and that patient will come back for a follow-up and things just aren't better. So what can you do to help them? Now, I've had great success with an at-home new lids device for several years with my own blepharitis symptoms and even dry eye, but now I've had success in trying out the new professional version of the new lids, the new lids pro. The new lids pro is easy to use, it's effective, it's comfortable for our patients. It takes very little chair time for myself as the doctor, as well as for our staff. And probably most important, it's affordable. And with taking only about four minutes to perform by a professional or a technician, it is extremely comfortable and requires no anesthetic. And maybe most importantly, compared to other more expensive alternatives, it has 
virtually no microsplatter, meaning no bacteria, no eyelid crud scattering on your patient, on you, or on your office equipment. For eye care practices, I think the Newlids Pro provides both a new patient-friendly dry eye treatment alternative, as well as providing value and a new revenue source for potentially every comprehensive exam. To learn more about Newlids and how it can benefit you, your clinic, and your patients, head over to newlids.com for additional information. I know uh, I do want to kind of go back to just an interesting thing that I've kind of observed within our own industry. And this has to do a little bit of school, I think, with our schooling and our education, but also, again, the the consumer and, again, just the way our our our, our profession is sort of built is this idea of are we are we glasses mm-hmm. pushers right yeah or are we what side of the coin are we on yeah. right you know and it's a hard balance to kind of walk and go through i see certainly the value glasses are incredibly as, a, as just a, a cost effective tool to improve your eyesight right yeah. to be able to see function it's it's easy to manufacture you know at least nowadays they're very easy to manufacture um you know fitting them there's an art to that there's a lot of just mathematical knowledge that we have that we gain in school but the i think the challenge that i've ran into is that in my education and again i graduated in 2015 we get this education about glasses and contact lenses but it's it's honestly one of the easier things of of our day like right. i would say it's probably one of the easiest things it's i always compare it to uh being a mechanic at um a, like an auto auto place right it's like i know how to change the engine i can rebuild the transmission that's what i went to school for but everybody sees me as like jiffy lube like <laughs> right. they think i just do oil change that's how i think of glasses and contacts personally um so it's but I feel like there's this tension because how does a young OD come out of schooling when they did all of this hardcore, you know, training and then boards all on the medical treatment and the diagnosis. And then they get a job that basically reinforces and tells them, oh, none of that was important. You just need to you need to get them to buy a second pair of glasses. You need to get them to buy uh, anti-reflective coating. You need to get them to, you know, all these different things. Yeah, and that's a tough line too, especially when you're a private practice owner. You know, you want to kind of push sales at the same time, but you want to take care of the patient. And, um, you know, I'm old enough to remember there was, you know, different facets of optometric licensure. You know, there, there was a diagnostic set and there was a therapeutic set that you mm-hmm. would get. And the diagnostic physicians would be the ones, you know, mainly geared toward doing just refractive things. And the therapeutic were the doctors obviously interested in medical eye care. And once those, you know, d- you know lines kind of melded together and everybody has the same licensure, then, you know, it, it wasn't quite as easy to distinguish who was going to be on either side of that coin. But it's not easy. And I think it's the way you represent yourself. And I, even, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing optical stuff. There's a lot of uh, doctors that do it great. They do it far better than I do. You know, yeah. you can refract that wall over there and they do a fantastic <laughs> job. And, um, you know, we need people to kind of keep doing that. But uh, at the same time, you need to recognize that the patient is, you know, an, an individual that has many different needs and they could they have medical aspects as well. 
and they need to, you know, kind of look at the eye as a whole and evaluate everything else. Or if you're not going to do that, you know, interprofessional, you know, referrals is always a great idea, right? You know, kind of doing that. And then we talked about, uh, you know, some of the age things too. You know, as I've gotten older, it's gotten easier to talk to patients about the medical aspects of their conditions and they take it more serious from an elder individual, an elder statesman. <laughs> Whereas a younger physician, being as youthful and juvenile as you are, they might be like, who's this young kid telling me I have glaucoma? You know, <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they want to hear from the old guy. And right. uh, we had a, a funny story. Uh, one of our newest physicians, Dr. Sidney Stone Othman, uh, she diagnosed a patient with a corneal condition that had some inflammation. And she was telling the patient what it was and, you know, wasn't quite sure what was going on. So I, she asked me to come in the room. And as soon as I walk in the room, he's like, oh, my God, the old guy's in the room telling oh, me. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, so with uh, experience and age comes some wisdom that, you know, patients tend to appreciate. And then you can kind of help redirect some of that glasses versus medical care and kind of move in that realm. Yeah. And I think there's that is a really it's a difficult challenge when you are a younger doctor and yeah. you're coming out of that. And there's also this, to me, there's been this like mental split because some patients, they come in and they have almost this expectation that they just want glasses or yep. they just, you know, they're just there to use their, their benefits. Um, and whether they're going to buy glasses or take their prescription elsewhere, like that's how they see the whole examination. And then you, of course, come in and say, "Whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm really worried about this. Look at this picture of your nerve. Uh, look at, look at these proteins I found in the back of your eye. This drusen. Yeah. You're having this inflammation inside the eye. You're not even aware of." And then they're just like, "Whoa, whoa, this is going to cost me extra money with insurance." It's like. Dude, this is your eyes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, losing sight is the number one feared sense that all people have. Mm -hmm. And you start to put that into perspective a little bit, perhaps they'll kind of see the light and, you know, decide to come back and have the additional testing that's done. But, you know, some people with those vision plans, you know, all they want to do is get their eyeglasses or contact lenses. So it makes it challenging to kind of do that. Those are the ones that are also diabetic and they have, you know, uncontrolled right. hypertension that you're like, no, we do need to dilate you today. We do need to check this out. We are going to bill it medically and we do need to take some photographs of your retina. You yeah. Know? And it's after years of kind of doing that and training them, hopefully you can kind of move the needle a little bit. But um, yeah, young practitioners don't have it any easier than we did, you know, back in the day either. And this is an interesting kind of just transition. I know that you're you've always been involved, like in our in our profession and advocacy for our profession. Mm. You know, in the state of Minnesota, you've been involved there. You were the MOA president at one time, um, and you're still very involved. Uh, and even at the higher level, at the AOA level, you've been involved there. The just there's so many inner workings, especially when it comes to our own, perf like, let me give you an example, insurance reimbursement, like for the diabetic the patient yeah. you just kind of painted, like that patient should maybe coming in to use their vision benefits or in, it's tough to say that I always say glasses discount, you know, yes. cause that they're, they're not really yeah. insuring your eyes in any way. Yeah. They're just giving you a discount on your, their glasses and their contact lenses. The, and then somehow they're now they're trying to shove medical care under the rug yeah you know they're trying to get that in there and it's like 
what? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, they want to they want to carve that out. You know, they, we we want a piece of this too. We want to be part of the the medical care team, but we really only do glasses and contact lenses as well. So, um, you know, as part of the AOA third party center, you know, we kind of look at insurance panels and different things and help doctors across the country kind of go through some of those things. And that is a very common concern and complaint that doctors literally around the country have. You know, yeah. how do I bill this diabetic patient when they need a medical examination with a photograph, but they only have these vision, you know, services or the vision insurance that's covered. A lot of them do have medical still. So the education needs to be there. They have to have, have an ABN advanced beneficiary notice mm -hmm. saying they're going to be doing that stuff. Um, but it takes education, constant education of the patient. Whoever's working the front desk needs to go out and kind of talk with them about that or even as they're scheduling their examination. But it is a challenge that we've been dealing with for a very long time that's not going to go away anytime soon, especially with all these vision plans starting to try to carve in a little bit of that medical care too. I think the biggest time i i saw that as a again when i when you're in school you don't really see that you see don't really you're yeah. not really trained on that you're like oh this all makes sense yeah why would it do any different but then especially if you're in the va system it's like yeah. you don't, you don't yeah. worry about that yeah. at all <laughs> i have to uh, code something <laughs> yeah um but then as soon as i started working in more of the private practice i'm like whoa there's how do i talk about this like how do yeah. i even tell the patient about it because then they get angry at you and it's like it's it's how your insurance is like structured the, um, I think the biggest f frustration I had, and I don't know if this is true anymore, but I believe there was a tie between IMED and health partners, or mm. I forgot what, what, what insurance medical coverage adopted. They gave up their vision coverage for medical, vi for medical vision and gained like IMED insurance yeah. to try and say, oh, well, this covers your vision insurance. And it's like, the, the patients who are coming in are like 65, 70 years old and have 12ve diagnoses not not press myopia myopia and yeah, not, my, yeah. not, not yeah. a refractive code so then yeah. then then there's that class yeah yeah I mean it's a very common practice around the country where uh, vision care plans are being carved out of medical plans and I'm trying to get them to just use their vision insurance because they can reimburse at a lesser rate, mm -hmm. you know? And that's just not with health partners uh, throughout, which is, you know, Midwest. Uh, around the country, we're kind of seeing that happen. And it's because, unfortunately, you know, optometrists as a whole have taken these plans and accepted these lower reimbursements. So then these uh, medical companies think, well, I can actually save money. I'll hire this, you know, vision care plan to pay and do eye exams at a much lower rate yeah. than what we were paying before, you know, and that's, it's, we're our, our own worst enemies, right? We are. <laughs> and know, I, why, why do you think optometry, maybe this is a historical answer and I just don't know it, but why do you think optometrists have accepted such little pay for how much, considering how much schooling we have, the expertise we have? Why, why do you think we've, accepted that yeah you know I, that's a great question I, I wish i knew the answer to that i've always kind of said that we don't you know we optometrists as a whole in general have been great people right they don't want to charge anybody for what they do mm -hmm. they don't really value the you know the service we give they kind of have a lot of self-doubt it's like okay well i'll give this one a break i'll just charge them a little bit less i don't need to make as much you know this is mrs jones i you know they're all my friends you know mm -hmm. they're, they're we have this niche of uh, patients that are community based 
based. So we don't want to do anything that's wrong with them. But the big picture is we're, we're doing them a disservice by not, yeah. you know, treating their entire medical continuum of eye care. And I think there definitely has to be a change going forward. First, before I get into that, I want to ask you personally, and then just this came to my head. Okay. If you had to say, if everything, it's every optometrist just went cash-based. Yeah. What do you think the value of your exam, your medical expertise is worth? If you could put a dollar amount it. Oh, so like a fee for service, what yeah. are you charging for a routine eye $200, exam? $200, $300 yeah. Uh, yeah. more? I, you know, I think ours right now is like 240 plus refraction, you know, whatever that okay. is, 20 to 40 bucks, you know, yeah. so, but uh, that's just for routine, you know, the, the medical side of things, you know, that'd be higher for what you're doing. And that's where fee for service things for like lippy flow and tear care and IPL, we're kind of changing that needle and moving that bar a little bit yeah. and just keeping insurances out of the piece altogether and uh, myopia management all those things we realize that there's a value in what we do and now we're trying to capitalize on it and help patients at the same time yeah. and i think that's gonna you know dichotomously shift everything that you know optometry is doing and create a market outside of just glasses and contact lenses i know uh for myself I went to, a few years ago, I, I started seeing a, a therapist just mm. for, for mental health, you know, to um, kind of manage everything. And I think everybody should, honestly. It, it helps great to have therapy. I agree. Yeah. The, the cost of it, in, once insurance covered it a little bit during COVID, that was, this was the beginning of COVID, they covered it a little bit at first, but after like two visits, they stopped covering it all. You don't need it anymore. <laughs> and they started charging me over $300 for a one-hour session with this therapist. And I was like you don't have as many years of training. of training as I do. And somehow you're being like, at least their business is charging me that much more. And I'm just like, something's wrong here. Like what, what is, what is going on? Oh yeah. I, you know, uh, if Stacy was here, she would tell you every time we get an EOB from like me going or one of the kids going to an exam, a medical exam. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they charge what? If we're charging this, you know, we, uh, it's way out of balance for what we do but in I, our training. And yeah, and, yeah. But I think as our profession is advancing in our, uh, certainly our scope is expansion, right? As our yeah. scope is going up as our, because I think as our, first our education, the lot of healthcare does not understand, like a lot of people in healthcare and other practitioners, other medical specialties don't know our education. No. And, but as our education has gotten so good, and as our scope expansions go better, our liability will unfortunately go up, right? Yeah. And so, like... The, well, the beauty of that is our liability uh, goes up minuscule, yeah, right? Our you know, we're still the low. lowest, you know, malpractice insurance of all, eye, of all professions, not just eye care. And uh, even though we have these expanded scope things, it's, uh, you know, minimally... You do, know, you do you think that's because either A, we're that good at what we do, or, or, or another part is B, people probably like us because we, oh. we give a damn and we, uh, we, we care about talking to our patients, explaining to our patients we want to do them right. Yeah, there, you know, I just gave a medical malpractice lecture you know, about six months ago, oh. and you could really reduce your claims by just communicating, talking to the patient, and being nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you you know, that really helps out a lot. Yeah. And optometrists are great at that. So that's what we, we kind of do. And so. also just not doing, uh, not doing terrible things, right? And like, not doing uh, terrible things. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the, the psychologist who, you know, sleeps with his lady patient or something like that. <laughs> um, those are, those are just classic examples. Yeah. But um, in, in kind of that light, 
with scope expansion and like treatment abilities or just again this miscommunication between other healthcare providers like does that does that frustrate you because it seems to me that there's there like no one else really understands our education yeah uh, even even our good friends on the OMD side I, I don't know if they could explain our education. <laughs> so I'm glad you brought that up. So <laughs> as our scope expansion chair for Minnesota, I had to sit down with legislators and four ophthalmologists and myself and, you know, kind of defend our position and do different things. And Thank the, you for that, by the <laughs> way. And the legislator asked the ophthalmologists what our training was. So I was like, all right, let me sit back and listen yeah, yeah, to yeah. this. And I'm like, I'm not sure why she's telling them how I was trained, but, you know, let's see. And, uh, you know, they were like this far above high school, just barely uh, <laughs> above high school, you know, training that we, we took had. an $800 uh, <laughs> certification course. At, right. uh, I mean, they really minimalized it and didn't understand what we went through in different things. And, um, you know, uh, obviously, it's much different, you know. And and I remember a patient one time um, was uh, went to I sent them to a retinal specialist, and they were saying that they really liked the care when they came to our office much better than they went to the retinal specialist. And they wanted to know what the retinal specialist's training had to do to get to my level. That's amazing. <laughs> and I said, well, actually, they would have to go to four more years of schooling yeah. just to get to, <laughs> get to what I do. That's the best answer. <laughs> I know uh, that reminds me of another yeah. another mentor, um, and I believe um, you know Dr. Bert Dubow. He's now retired. Oh but, God, yes, yeah, yeah he, Bert's he, a great guy. Yeah, yeah good so friend. he uh, so in he, Minnesota. Yeah, he was actually um, my father's optometrist. So oh. um, and he saved my father's life in a way by catching his extremely high blood pressure. Oh, great. Um, sorry for just spoiling my dad's health information. Yeah. Um, but he uh, he once told me that well, the OMD spends. 90% of their time practicing optometry. <laughs> and it just it was a different it was a mindset shift. I'm like, "Oh, like yeah. <laughs> like that that the invasive surgery part is is huge." And I have insane respect for all OMDs who, you know, they they do great education, they're very yeah. e experts at what they do. Um and I I don't want to do invasive surgery. I don't want to do the retina surgery myself. Um, if I'm, you know, being off by 1 millimeter, oops. And yep. then somebody's blind. I don't want that on my conscience. Yeah. And um, myself personally, I can't. I'm not a blood and guts guy. Uh, like I can handle watching corneal surgeries. I can watch um, cataract surgeries, no problem. But as soon as there's a strab surgery, if I see yeah. blood, if I see some of the crazy, some of the really in, involved surgeries, I get queasy. It's just my stomach. I don't have the stomach for it. So I respect all of their skills. And oh, absolutely. And, and I worked in an ODMD uh, practice, ODMD practice for eight years, like I said. Mm -hmm. And the surgeons there I worked with were pro-optometry. They were the best you could work with. And that's the core group of people you like to find and yeah. kind of do that. And their skill set is second to none when they do it. You know, these big old sausage fingers getting into an <laughs> eye, trying to put things together just isn't happening. So... Uh, I, I highly respect them. It's just, you know, the other side of that coin is sometimes we don't get that shared respect. And when they, you know, when, when I talk to ophthalmologists on an individual basis, they're fantastic. It's just when I meet with groups and being, I'm a little skewed being part of the yeah. scope expansion. When you meet with the, um, you know, American Academy of Ophthalmology, the thought process is a little bit different, you know, so. I know uh, just 
it's it's always amazed me, and I think we both have this experience where we've had patients who've come in and said, like, oh, wow, like, um, I'm so happy I came to see an ophthalmologist. And I'm like, ah, what do I say? You know, do I just be like, do I just call them out? Like, well, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and we've I've had the same thing happen. You know, this is, hey, this is the best eye exam I ever had. Last time I went to an optometrist, you know, and this is in our private optometric practice. Yeah. You know, like, well, you actually are an optometrist. You know, I'm just, uh, we're just really well trained and really good at what we do. Or, so, yeah, or yeah, we yeah. have the, yeah. you know, at least we've, focused on it right, right. um yeah. you know and there's i've i remember i worked in a, a target optical i've worked in a couple other um, more commercial based practices oh, yeah. and it's just like i i know what to do i just can't i don't have the machinery i don't yeah. have like so i need to send you to somebody else and it's and it's also tough because it's like oh they want me to see five six patients in an hour yeah. like how how am I gonna do this? And I remember I, I was still like I was doing my residency at the time. I was moonlighting at like a target. And I was just yeah. running as fast as I can. I'm dilating you. I'm having you sit here. I'm having this come here. I'll have you look out in the glasses Same here. Thing. I was yeah. just going so nuts. And I I can just see how um, it it just gets very difficult like that, especially yeah. if you if you care about dilating the patient. Um, Oh, absolutely. I did the same thing during my residency. You know, you moonlight uh, on the weekends. Uh, I was at the VA Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you mm -hmm. know, at fill-ins, wherever you could go. Yeah. And I distinctly remember uh, being at a lens crafters or something like that. Some patient had diabetic. Well, I have to dilate all diabetics. So I dilated yeah. them. It was a, you know, 20-something-year-old female. And I was like, you know, I've been working in the VA you know, where you see nothing but diabetics, right? And I was like, you have the worst diabetic retinopathy I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting in lens crafters. So yeah. If it didn't dilate, you're not going to catch it. But it's, you know, you got all backed up, right. you know, during that. And, uh, and, I, and I know we're not discrediting any of the doctors who work in these other practices. Oh, God, you know, so respect them so much for doing all that stuff. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, there's so much that we do we have to make these tough decisions, right? Um, yeah. in, in clinic and you see diseases and, and sometimes you're just like, I got to refer this out. I got to, you know, I got to send it on this way. And that was the key. When I went back and do those other things, they were just like, you know what? I know this great OD down the road. I'm just going to take my brief look and then we're just going to, you know, ship them off and kind of mm -hmm. do everything. So and that's really worked out well to kind of finish the, you know, the rest of the year with the moonlighting and everything. So uh, right now, when it comes to just the state of our profession, like this tough, this tough line, like the world still sees us as these glasses and contact lens. Um, they see our value that way. I hate to say it, but a lot of, a lot of the world sees us that way. Yeah. Um, there's a disconnect in other countries because they don't, uh, a lot of other countries either don't have the, I don't know their training. That's the truth is I, I, I personally yeah. don't know the training in other countries if they're the same as what we have here in the United States. But I know a lot of other countries don't have the... Uh, at least licensure or the ability to maybe treat or do some of the procedures that we do. Um, yeah, they're like optometry circa U.S. You know, nineteen sixty. You know. Yeah, like but like, where where do you think? Do you think we'll ever get over that hurdle? Do you ever think that the world will stop seeing us as just the glasses and contact lens pushers? Well, you know, it's going to be tough because. 
uh, that's always a need that's going to be out there. And, it is. You know, absolutely true. You know, we're we're pushing in two directions. You know, as a profession, you know, we're pushing for scope expansion where we want to do all these other procedures, and we're also trying to limit you know opticians from taking mm. over some of the refractive stuff. So unless we let that go, I don't think that's going to go away. But we can still be the primary eye care providers in the country and the world and just have a medical focus that kind of, you know, helps on those other ends too. No, this is because you kind of brought that up, but I'm curious because I have my own thoughts. But what in your mind is the reason why um, opticians, and I I, I know some amazing opticians who are just very skilled and they know a lot about eye care as well. But why is it that opticians, what limits them from being able to refract and being able to prescribe off of being their Being able refraction. to prescribe is a different thing. So there they have go. to have a licensure to kind of do that. And yeah. So they have to have a, a certain subset of um, physician-level licensure to kind of do that. Mm-hmm. And that's the level that they are being blocked at at this point from being able to create the schooling right. and the training and everything that goes with that. So, and I know but was, I think that'll come. You know, that seems to be the natural progression. My my kind of thought about that, because I was trying to think, well, what, what happens if, let's say like they did. Let's just say tomorrow we woke up, some legislator said, hey, okay, we're going to let them start doing this. And I was like, well, what happens if they can't see 2020? Right. What if they refract somebody and they just can't get them to 2020? Because we're, we're basically legally bound to, you know, yeah. if there's not seeing 2020, we have to have an explanation for it. And that's how optometry morphed into the profession it is, right? You right. know, so then, well, we need diagnostics. We need to be able to look in the eyes so we can figure out what's going on. And mm-hmm. then once we figure that out, we need therapeutics to kind of fix the problem that we just identified. Right. And uh, that would be another subset of uh, optician optometry that, you know, gets created with that. So, right. And then uh, my, my thought is that same thing was like, okay, well, even if you are able to say, okay, something's wrong, I'll just refer it out. Right. Yeah. Okay. They're not taking 2020. I'll refer it out. Okay. Well, one, who are you going to refer it to? And then two, how soon are you going to refer it? Yeah. What's the is urgency? That, is that, is that two days? Is it two weeks? Is it two months? Is it six yeah. months? Like you, that you, you don't know the urgency unless you understand the pathology, you understand what's going on. And so I think unfortunately for our optician friends who are amazing at refraction and would love to own their own, you know, be able to prescribe from their refraction on their own, like the amount of education they'll need to get. Yeah. They may as well go to optometry school. Yeah. They might as well do that. (laughs) That's Um, where they're at. Yeah. And I I suppose there might be, um, uh, ophthalmologists who would kind of maybe say the same thing to us, to us. Yeah. Uh, the only real thing is that most of optometry, I think, I think most of our schooling in optometry already covers most of that in their, in their defense, except for their surgical, their invasive surgical abilities. So it's, it's in this kind of crazy world. Um, Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's going to be strange to kind of see where it goes for sure. So I'll tell you what, the one thing that um, concerns me most about our profession is you know, if we look at what happened to pharmacy and their model, mm-hmm. we seem to be heading in that same direction, you know, with the private equity yeah, and everything else. And um, if we don't do anything to kind of block that at this point, I feel we're going to fall victim and prey to that same exact you know, scenario. And we're going to be left with very few independent 
you know, places that, you know, are OD ran and driven and it's all going to be corporate or private equity or other things. So if you, if you want to know what keeps me up at night, that's probably it. And I've, you know, I'm still private practice owner and I have planned to stay that way. You've gone through the whole private equity thing and it got (laughs) us back to you, you know, which is great. But I, I, I fear that, you know, that is, you know, going to change some of the dynamics with uh, memberships and organizations, and then the ability to kind of move scope forward and all those other changes that these, you know, core groups are doing for us right now. So I think uh, I know that is, I think private equity is an interesting thing. And I know some, obviously there's doctors I respect and love, and they've had great success and they have loved it. Uh, They love working with those companies. They've had financial success being able to sell their practices. I know another doctor who, that's like his business plan. Yeah. Like, because he's like, I can grow all these, I can start start a clinic here, start a clinic there. I can grow them over 10 years. And then, you know, I can sell them to private equity, cash out and move on to something else. It's a great plan. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's how it is. But to your point, like I just had my booster shot through flu and COVID the other day. And I asked this young pharmacist who, you know, you know, they look like they just graduated. I'm like, how do you like working for, you know, CVS or Walgreens? Uh, they just, they're like, are you an undercover? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I'm an undercover agent of CVS. Yeah. 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 And, and so it was I've heard from several different uh, professionals in in the pharmacy space kind of share their frustrations, frustrations. or either leave their their high paying job just because they're having to work insane hours and they're having to um, it's it their their job satisfaction has gone out the window. Yeah, and and optometry has been pretty lucky as a profession in whole because the job satisfaction has been pretty high but i fear that that's going to continue to decrease over time and that's that's why i keep doing what i'm doing i love it you know i wouldn't have it any other way and uh, i want uh, other ods to have that same experience and the same vigor every day that they get up and kind of work and see patients well overall i'm i'm very happy that uh we at least one, I get to I get to work alongside you at your clinic because I get to learn from you and your expertise and all of your experience, uh, along with the other doctors at the clinic, and get pushed to be a better doctor and improve in all those different ways. And hopefully, <laughs> with scope expansion and everything, uh, my profession, my career won't um, be snuffed out anytime soon. So. Well, I know it won't. And obviously, you have a great fallback here <laughs> that right. you've got to keep working with. Um, which, yeah. you know, in a weird way, uh, just to kind of share, like, I have many different motivations that helped me kind of jump into making a YouTube channel, just getting involved yeah. in social media. But in very small way was the fact that I was scared thinking about my profession of like, where yeah. is this going to be yeah. in 10 years, 20 years? Like, I kind of had this idea of going into optometry school, like, I'm going to be practicing for at least 30 years. Yeah. Like, will I ever be able to retire with the cost of how, how expensive school is? And then that fear of like, oh, no, like online glasses sales the way and yep. in, in reimburse the reality of how low reimbursement really is um just the this how expensive it would be to buy a practice or yeah. start a practice yeah like those are some daunting thoughts and so i'm like i have to find other things to do or other ways to make income without burning my burn you know burnout and yeah. working six days a week and you know so Certainly, that was a small component to it, and I've been I've been 
it's I've been very blessed in that that I at least have have built the skill set to kind of explore other avenues. But. Yeah, and you do so well at it, and uh, you know we're all lucky to have you do it to get the information and the way you <laughs> present it, it's fantastic. So um, it's fun to kind of watch the evolution and the change. I remember talking to you at an MOA meeting about five years ago. And you're like, I got this YouTube idea. I got like. 50 people on my channel now yeah. that are kind of watching it. I was like, yeah, keep, keep working with it. I think it's a good idea. Right. <laughs> it is. It's not necessarily yeah. easy. I think, yeah. uh, I think every doctor could do it. And I think there would yeah. be a huge benefit if, if people wanted to say, Hey, you know what? I love educating my patients. Let's yeah. video it. It's tough to be on camera to get over that hurdle. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to be on on camera they don't like how they look on it they're afraid of how they sound or how they oh i have a face for radio for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you uh, you're an amazing presenter uh, with your ce and just the way you speak for our profession and your knowledge for it so um, i hope to eventually have you uh, as maybe a guest in in future either both youtube videos as well as some of the other things that we we do but great um, be happy to the uh finally just let us know kind of uh what are kind of you were looking forward to in this next year? What are you working on? So, uh, me personally, or yeah, you know, yeah, profession, you, you both, yeah, both, yeah. yeah. You know. I, I know certainly you have the new clinic. You guys are just starting that like next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's always something in the fire, kind of doing some of that stuff. Professions always expanding, doing different things. On the big horizon for the profession, I'm with you. I really want, you know, scope expansion to kind of mm -hmm. help move things along. Um, you know, me personally, I always have, uh, um, you know, a notion to kind of help patients with uh, anterior segment things. And, you know, there's a lot of new innovative therapies and treatments for ocular surface mm -hmm. disease that are coming along. We were really fortunate to kind of be one of the first, to, you know, push and move amniotic membrane stuff. And now there's some newer biologics and different treatments that are coming on the forefront that should mm. be fun. Not only to treat, uh, you know, ocular surface disease, but neurotrophic keratitis and, um, you know, all those other things that kind of go along with it. So I'm always, uh, you know, thrilled to see these new innovative things that pop up because, yeah. you know, the profession is always changing and, uh, you know, keeps me excited. And I'm excited that you're just keep on pushing and learning and mastering that because it eventually trickles down to me and then I get better <laughs> at it. So and then I have more content to make for, for YouTube and other things. Perfect. <laughs> Well, thank you again, Nick, so much for being on here. Um, again, honor and pleasure, and just thank you. Oh, it's my honor. Thank you. Uh, anytime you need me, I'm happy to help out. All right. Thanks, Joey.